Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Anika Zubair, and welcome back to another episode of the Customer Success Channel podcast. This podcast is created for anyone working in or interested in the customer success field. On this podcast, we will be speaking to leaders in the industry about their experience and their definition of customer success and get their advice and best practices on how to run a CS organization. In the past decade, we have seen a boom of new tech companies, startups across UK and Europe. This growth in starting a business from the ground up has indirectly led to the growth of customer success. There are a lot of growing pains as you grow from a startup to a scale up. And today we will be speaking with Lauren Cumming about her experience in working at a customer success company that has transitioned from a startup to a scale up. Lauren is currently the head of customer success at Fixflow and has previously held customer success roles at SparkUp, DeskPro, and RotaGeek, all of which have been in the technology startup space. She has a wealth of knowledge to share with us about how to establish customer success at a startup and also how to maintain a CS or as a business scales up. Today, I would like to welcome Lauren coming to the Customer Success Channel podcast to talk all things customer success and startups. So welcome, Lauren, to the Customer Success Channel podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to our listeners today. I thought it would be great for us to get started with you sharing a little bit more about yourself and maybe how you got started in customer success. Yeah, thanks, Anika. Hey, you know, thank you so much for having me on today. What a way to start the week. And again, thank you so much for having me on here. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren. I'm head of customer success at FixFlow. As you can probably tell from my accent, I am a Kiwi. I've moved over to London about five years ago from New Zealand, and I've actually always been in customer success outside of university. So this is my, I think, sixth year in customer success now. I originally wanted to be a politician, which is, you know, very different to the customer success landscape. I actually wanted to be prime minister throughout high school, but I think I'll leave that one to Jacinda. And I studied politics, policy making, and business at university. I ran kind of the business society and got into kind of event managing whilst I was at university and then decided I actually wanted to be an event manager. And I then randomly ended up working for an event tech startup in New Zealand. I couldn't really find any event management jobs that took my eye, but there was one in kind of the tech space. And voila, the rest is history, really. That was my first introduction into the tech startup world and more importantly, the customer success space. And my love of working with customers and technology and helping solve business problems with software arose from that. And I'd always planned to move to London after I finished university, so I did. I've worked for a few different startups in London now, and I've been at Fixflow now for two and a half years. And Fixflow is a property maintenance tool for property professionals. So we help streamline the end-to-end management of repairs and maintenance across the property space, largely in the UK. We're a little bit in South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, but primarily in the UK. And over the last two and a half years, I've grown the team to almost nine. So yeah, that's basically a little bit about me. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing with us. That's also really cool that you come from purely a customer success background, because the more people I speak to on this podcast, the more I see different industries and different backgrounds come into customer success. So it's really cool that you're purely customer success. And it's going to be awesome talking to you today about how customer success has evolved at startups versus scale-ups in your experience. So I guess to kind of set the tone for our listeners, in your opinion, what is a startup versus a scale-up? Cool. A really good way to kind of get into the conversation. So I think the first thing to note is that, you know, there are a lot of definitions out there, but I don't think it 
the difference is defined by, you know, a specific percentage of growth or a percentage of customer, you know, increase to define, you know, when you move from a startup to a scale-up. The key difference is that when you are a scale-up, your business has a product market fit and a proven sales funnel. You know who your customers are, you know where to find them, you know what you're selling to them, and you know how to sell it to them. You aren't, you know, pivoting all the time and trying new things and going after different customers. You have proven yourself and had some success and your mission is to now work on building a repeatable scalable business model you can still pivot in a scale-up model it's generally more risk averse though so for example your pivot may be that you're you're largely used to selling to smbs and you know anyone that will buy your product but you know you're kind of transitioning to selling to more mid-market or enterprise clients you're not again pivoting into something completely different and targeting a whole, you know, different space and different product. I've been through that as well in one of the startups I've worked for, and it is very different from, you know, building on what has made you successful to that point. And I think another key thing is that funding is not always an indicator. So being in a scale-up can look very different depending on your business model. If you've just closed a Series B round, you know, you may be going into a hyper-growth scale-up mode. Whereas if your company is bootstrapped and you're relying on no external capital and, you know, your own sales revenue to fund your business and investing any profits you make back into your business, then your scale up trajectory can look very different. So I think for fixed flow, we've been around since kind of 2013, 2014. And I'd say that we hit scale up mode early 2019. And we're now focusing on growing what we've already been successful at and has got us to this point. And at the same time, looking for growth opportunities in, you know, sidelong markets that we're in as well. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. It's so different from every company and every business. As you said, sometimes you can scale up at Series B funding, but other times you can maybe wait a little bit longer and just depending on, again, where your company is and what level of investment you've actually received. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. So in this podcast, we like to speak about customer success. So can you please help our listeners understand how your focus on purely customer success at tech companies has really influenced your growth into head of CS. I know you mentioned you've spent about six years so far in customer success, so it's really amazing to see how you're head of customer success in an organization right now. How did you get there and what was the reasoning behind moving into head of customer success? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the aim here is to not be too modest or too boastful and kind of strike that nice middle ground of my story. But I think, as, as you just said, I've only ever worked in the tech startup world and only in customer success before. I think the other interesting thing is that aside from my last role at SparkUp, I have been the founding customer success member in each business I've worked in. So I've never kind of had that experience where I've worked in, you know, a seasoned, experienced team. I've had leaders to kind of learn or grow from. And I think this is actually quite a common reality for a lot of head ofs who have kind of joined early stage startups and grown with the business. Because a lot of the time, you know, those businesses can't afford or at least cannot prioritize hiring a CS leader with kind of, you know, years of experience and lots of management experience because it's not necessarily required in those early days. I think this is definitely starting to shift now over the last like two, three years. And so for me, one of the things when I first moved to London was that because I was kind of, you know, starting out on my own and kind of, you know, winging it and I didn't have anyone to kind of lean on internally who was in my space and networking and building up my network of people in the industry was super important. So that did lead me to kind of start up the CSM LDN meetup group over three years ago with a few other people. And for me, it was about being able to purely connect with others in the CS community and 
learn from them, share stories and insights, validate ideas. And that has been invaluable for me from that point to now. I still, you know, lean on a lot of my network for different things at this point in time. So that's kind of one of the key things I think that has helped me as I've grown in my career over the last three, four years. I think another thing is that, you know, in my first three roles in early days at Flow, I was definitely a firefighter CSM, you know, having to wear multiple hats and alongside CS roles, you know, I've done a bit of sales, technical support, QA, I had to be a jack of all trades, manage, you know, the majority of our customers alone, define the goals, make the processes, execute them, kind of do everything. And I think the reality is that startups often hire and want someone who can do this, even though they may not explicitly say it in the job description, they do want someone who can, you know, do everything reasonably well, at least initially. Kind of, you know, like a, I guess I've heard the kind of term like rock stars or unicorns thrown around out there. And, you know, I'm not meaning to kind of like humble brag or anything like that. But, you know, that person has to have the grit and desire to kind of get stuck in and be willing to do anything to build that CS org from the ground up, which is great, but you can't effectively scale a team that way, of course. So I think by doing this and working in environments like that, you pick up a lot of knowledge and skills and a lot of adaptability and resilience because obviously startups can change day to day. And I think one of the other things that has been helpful is being confident about my passion for customer success and its value to the business. CS is a 360 degree role that interacts with all other departments across a business, it's customer facing, and we know that there can be challenges with, you know, getting customer success seen or ingrained as a business mindset. And you need to be willing to shine a light on, on its value, fight for it. And I think that comes down to fully believing that retaining and growing your customers is the lifeblood of any business. So I think if you get an opportunity like me, where the startup or the scale up that you're working for is clearly on a path to scaling and growing consistently, then part of it is luck in terms of timing is definitely on your side. But you can take that role and run with it. And soon you should be able to have some sort of a team, whether that's one person or two people, and they should be helping you to execute and build out your strategy and you shouldn't have to do everything anymore. And then why your successful changes? A large part of my move into the head of CS role at Fixflow, so I was a customer success manager for about a year, And I've been head of CS for about a year and a half now. So a large part of my success is now extrinsically linked to the performance of my amazing team. I can't do everything alone anymore. And it's down to them being amazing and successful at what they do and us continuing to hire the right people, maintaining the culture that keeps everyone aligned and motivated whilst having fun doing it. So my future success has now changed and is largely linked to that now. And I think along the way, I've had a few reported to a few lovely CEOs and managers who really trusted and empowered me to just go for it. And I think it's an important thing to note because if you're not working for someone who can allow you to fly and spread your wings, and go for it. I do think you're working in the wrong company. So I think that has been a blessing. And I have worked for companies where I, you know, I couldn't fly as well and I left them. So I think that's also a key part too. Amazing. Yeah, that's so important. I think what you mentioned earlier is being the first CSM on the ground and really building up and doing things for a startup in the early days leads to natural growth, especially as that business tends to grow. And I've personally experienced that. And I know a number of other people in London startup scene has also experienced that when they're just a CSM 
figuring it out and then obviously transitioning into a leader because you need to hire a team to support you in, in order to continue to grow. So amazing story there. Thanks for sharing. So I guess from a CS leader perspective, why is customer success vital as a company transitions from a startup to a scale up? You mentioned that Fixlow kind of in the last year or so has hired the majority of your CSMs now. Why is it that CS was so vital that you decided to hire nine new customer success managers? Yeah, so I think by the time you're transitioning from a startup to a scale-up, you have a core customer base, you have a growing customer base, you've got product market fit. And so naturally, as you transition, you've got more risk and more to lose. I think the transition is commonly linked with new growth targets and new expectations as well, either as a result of funding or board targets or exit goals, whatever it may be that your business is trying to work towards. But the retention of your customers and their associated recurring revenue is one of the key factors ensuring that those business goals are achieved and I guess ideally superseded. I think it's also at this stage where, you know, your product is maturing and this is often a time when a business can start to capitalize on the fact that, you know, you can make additional revenue from your existing customer base and your product starts to kind of split out. Like maybe you've got more tiering. Maybe you start to have chargeable features so that you can have more upsell opportunities than potentially you did when you were a startup just working on your MVP and your core product. And you also realize that, you know, if you have a customer base of happy, healthy, successful customers, you can use them as advocates to generate new leads in the industry, the industry you're going into or a new industry that you're looking to go into as well. And if your customers obviously are not healthy and at risk of churn, then it's going to be very difficult for your company to do any of those things. Yeah, very, very fair point. I totally agree. And it's a difficult balancing act, to be completely honest, but thanks for sharing that. So I guess now, especially, I know right now when we're recording this, London is currently in lockdown. The global pandemic is still spreading, although we are maybe coming out of it soon. But I guess right now, more than ever, customer success is seen to be vitally important at businesses, especially as we continue to retain our customer base. So what part of customer success is vitally important right now at Fixflow? Yeah, sure. So we have quite a varied customer base. So we sell to, you know, small SMBs in the property industry, to mid-market and fast growth clients through to enterprise, what we consider to be enterprise. And we do have quite a large customer base. We do have over 1,600 unique clients. And as I mentioned, one of the common pivots that you see in a move from startup to scale-up is the redefining of your ICP, your ideal customer profile, and, you know, potentially moving away from we will sell to anyone who wants our product. And although you may continue to do this, you start to target your effort, your marketing efforts and your sales efforts against those bigger clients, which is, you know, happens in so many different SaaS platforms. I can think of so many examples in my head, like Intercom and companies like that. And that is kind of ringing true for us at the moment as well. And another pivot, common pivot is, you know, exploring and moving into new markets, which is also something that we're doing. So our focus is therefore on how do we scale customer success and our support activities for our SMB clients while still offering them a high quality customer experience and journey. But we do need to make it more self-service and more tech touch than it currently is to be able to scale effectively. I think this can be a very challenging thing depending on what your clients are like in terms of their personas, how they like to be engaged with, you know, their tech savviness. And at the same time, because we're kind of trying to concentrate and grab a lot of these enterprise size clients as well, we're trying to build out our processes and playbooks for managing enterprise clients 
and learning about the new industries that we're entering as you know those new customers start to come through the door as well. So I think it's one of those challenges of moving from startup to scale up really is that you know there can still be quite a lot of change and you do need to still adapt continuously and do multiple strategies for different types of clients at the same time. Yeah, amazing. That's really great to hear. I think that you just kind of touched upon something that I want to ask you next, actually, as you just mentioned how you're changing your playbooks or some of the ways you guys are currently working. So maybe can you tell our listeners, what are some of the key factors that a CSM or a CS leader should consider in a scale-up as opposed to a startup mode? So what are some of the things you've changed in the last year or two at Fixflow as you guys continue to, to scale up? Yeah, sure. So I think I've got kind of a few like general ideas and then a few kind of my own tips and tricks. So I think it's kind of four key things really. So one is that the nature of your business as a whole and how it runs will change over time as this transition happens. And this will obviously have flow and effects to how your your team runs as well and interacts with other teams because it's inevitable that as you scale, you need to have more formalized, robust, repeatable processes in place. It's again, as I keep saying, like less winging it, more structure, And, you know, as you grow your teams, you have to have, you know, more processes in place to have standardization to some extent. You don't want to kill creativity completely, but you do need to kind of have more guidelines in place. So, I mean, one thing that as a business we've been really working on over the last year is documenting all of our processes, getting knowledge out of people's heads. We use a tool called Slight to store everything and everything about anything and everything, sorry, about, you know, who our customers are, the industries, processes per team, like all of that kind of information, because if it's contained in your team's heads only, then that is a massive risk. So that is definitely something that we didn't really concentrate on before, but we realized that we really need to kind of crack down on that. I think another thing that changes is, you know, the type of people you need to hire will start to change. I'll go kind of talk about this later, but who you need to hire in your CS team as it grows, as you know things become more specialized, and also learning to work with other people cross-functionally, who you know may be very different from what the company has hired so far, as the needs of the business have changed, and maybe they need people with a lot more experience than when you're starting out. I think another key thing is that you need to potentially readjust the way you work. You don't have to lose all the scrappiness and agility that you, you're used to with working in a startup but at the end of the day you do need to make more data-driven decisions rather than relying potentially on just your intuition which may have obviously worked for you if you've got to this point but I've heard a saying from I can't remember where I read this but it was kind of like you can do things fast or you can do things right and I think as you scale doing things right becomes more of a priority than potentially winging it and that just means more planning more investing more time into what you're working on. And for us, that's also meant scaling up our tech stack, integrating, making sure all our data is integrated to be able to track and broaden our KPIs and metrics. And I think linked to this, then the emotional side of things changes as well, because your highs are going to be different and your lows are going to be different. And if you're investing more time into something and that thing fails, it's potentially a little bit more painful than when you're in a startup and things are like, you just kind of do something without really investing that much time into it. So I think that's kind of an emotional change as well. Amazing. Great. So you've already kind of touched on this already, but you mentioned around how you might have to start hiring different people or company direction might change. And that's something that you need to really take into consideration. But what are some of the hidden obstacles that you faced as your company transitioned from a startup to a scale up? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, it was, it was really good for me to kind of think about this and reflect on the experience I've gone through over the last few years. But I think the reality is that as you transition, your, your business is essentially growing up, right? You're growing up a little bit, the business is growing up, and you want to do that. But at the same time, you want to retain some of that OG magic that made the company what it was when you first started. And so trying to get that balance right with potentially having more planning, more I wouldn't say red tape, but you know what I mean. There's more structure in place than there was in the beginning, but at the same time, keeping that magic of that culture. And I think that kind of ties into, as your team grows, maintaining the culture becomes more important, but obviously more difficult as the more people you add, the more complexity, different people, that kind of thing. So I think it's natural that your hiring and onboarding processes become more formalized, more structured, and it's a, just more of an effort, I think, to get this right than it was in the beginning. And I think something that CS leaders in this kind of transition struggle with is, you know, being able to find the time to coach and invest in personal development of their team. But I think as the business scales up, this is definitely more important than it was. I think personally for me, one of my tips and tricks would be from a leader perspective, effective delegation is key. You need to learn to give up control quite quickly and say goodbyes maybe some of those, like that your babies that you've been working on for ages, you need to delegate as your team grows and not hold back, give those opportunities to someone else. And it can be difficult, a difficult transition when you're used to maybe doing everything and being involved in every decision, but you obviously can't scale if, you, if you're holding on to things. And I think from a client perspective, things start to change as well. I mean, again, if you're pivoting kind of like fixed lowers to trying to get larger clients as well as maintain our uh, all our SMBs in mid-market, you start to have so many different activities that are going on and you have to kind of learn to structure things correctly. And at the same time, there's also competing product demands. Big clients want certain things, small ones want certain things. And being able to manage client expectations around this thing becomes increasingly difficult. And sometimes you need to scale back what you were offering certain client groups. Your small customers might be used to calling you and being able to have one-to-one trainings. But, you know, as you scale, you can't offer that anymore, especially as you start to change the customers that you're bringing on board. And obviously taking that kind of thing away from clients is really difficult in terms of managing customer expectations as well. So I think just having a think about what effects is that going to have on the types of clients you're having and how you interact with them is key. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think you just point out something that I didn't even think of. As you scale up, you can't just think about the internal changes, like you said, from hiring to process to making sure that's all set up. But you also really do have to think about how, as your company scales, how does that affect your current customers? And are they going to change in their life cycles? Are they going to change in how you interact with them? Are they going to change in importance level, whether they're SMB or enterprise? So really good points that are some hidden obstacles that every company probably it'll affect them as they transition. So thanks for sharing that. I guess you mentioned around how Fixflow is moving from startup to scale up in the last year or two. What were some key indicators that you as a CS leader recognize that you're ready to transition from a startup to a scale up? Or what were some key ways that Fixflow, I guess, came to understand that, you know, we're no longer a startup and we're now a scale up? Yeah, so I think this one's a tricky one. It's one of those things that, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It's quite it's somewhat arbitrary. And it is a growth journey and it can, as I've mentioned in the beginning, it takes a different amount of time depending on your business model and funding model and all that kind of thing. And to be honest, I had no idea it was happening at the time. 
But obviously, looking back retrospectively, I can definitely see that transition start. And I obviously now know I'm in it and that business were in that phase. But it is kind of difficult to pinpoint an exact moment. But I think ultimately, if your custom base is continuing to grow, there's evidence of future growth and you've got a defined lead generation and sales model and marketing model that's all working and consistent and that your on your side of things, customers are being successful with your product and able to achieve their desired outcomes and the reasons for purchase, then I think you're going to ideally be in a position where as a business and as a customer success leader, you can start unlocking new growth opportunities in your customer base. And as I said, your business may start to look at going into different markets. And then naturally your processes, your technology and your team will start to grow as you move into a different phase of the business. And I think you kind of start to notice that you move from being maybe purely reactive or you know mostly reactive to being able to kind of start thinking more about proactive outreach. And again, I think customer expectations and their complexity starts to change as well as your kind of client type changes. So I think it's kind of a hard one to pinpoint. But if I look back December 2017, when I first started FixFlow and I, early last year, I mean, we're in a completely different phase. I wouldn't be able to compare the two. And that is just naturally from formalizing processes, growing the team, getting better technology in place. Everything just was more structured. And again, it it just happened over time. But now I think that we talk about it more as a business and everything, all our strategy and goals and all of that are linked to where we are. And we, we talk about it a lot more, which is good. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome to hear that you guys as a business have made that transition not just from a department, but overall, which is so important. It shows how CS is so directly linked with other parts of the business. Really great to hear that. I guess coming back to what you said earlier, how you were hired as the first CSM and there was a lot of firefighting happening at Fixflow when you were initially hired. Usually most startups do hire their first CSM to reduce churn and maybe to firefight a bit. So when should a SaaS company start monitoring and measuring churn and when should that be a part of their journey really? I think that I mean as soon as you have a customer really I think it's one of those things that you should be tracking from the beginning. If you've got 10 customers and one leaves you you should 100% understand why they left you and take that feedback on board. I don't think you can start early enough to be honest. You need to be understanding why they're leaving so that you can be proactive about stopping that for any future customers that you're getting. And I think that churn is a business-wide metric and should be incorporated in regular company-wide reporting from the beginning. Like Everyone and every team should know how the business is doing on customer retention because at the end of the day, all of their efforts feed into the success of their clients. If your customers aren't being successful, you as a business are not successful. And I think it's very important to ingrain that messaging in as early as possible because that's going to help pave the way for someone to come in and capitalize and move that customer-centric mindset further if it's already been ingrained by being open and transparent about churn with the wider business. So important, so important. So glad you mentioned that. It is so key that the business as a whole understands that churn is not just customer success and not just one part of the business, but from product to marketing to the initial sale, all affects overall churn. So, so glad you mentioned that. And I guess Since churn usually is a metric that falls into the CS org and is something that we're measured on regularly, what are some basic metrics that you need to put in place to understand churn? How are you guys monitoring it? What are some of the KPIs around churn that you guys are using right now at Fixflow? 
Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, something we've obviously always looked at is gross revenue retention and how much money are you essentially losing each month? We work on MRR. So what percentage of MRR are we losing each month compared to, you know, our total MRR figure at the beginning? I think it's also important, especially as upselling um, becomes more of a thing in your business. Net revenue retention includes basically what I just said, except the offsetting of expansion revenue. It's also important to track, you know, how many customers are actually leaving, so customer churn rates. But I think understanding the the dollar value that's leaving is more important than customer churn rate. I like to split churn up by lots of different things. So a few kind of key things that we look at, churn by reason with an MRR value per reason, whether that be monthly, quarterly or annually. We want to know what's the most common reason for churn and how much money have we lost for that specific reason. And I think when you're starting out or as you grow, you need to be constantly looking and redefining your list of cancellation reasons and understanding if they're changing, have they remained the same over the last few years and making sure that you're capturing that reason and data every time a customer leaves. I think it's also important to know how long on average customers are staying. Customers churning generally after one year, two years. For us, it's all monthly reoccurring subscriptions. So how long do they churn after six months or eight months? It's really important for us to look at that. And then I think you can split it out by customer segment. Are you losing mostly SMBs or mid-market or enterprise? Where is the problem? If you've got multiple product types, it's also important to look at, are you losing product A versus B? And then I think one of the final things I like to look at is churn by sales exec. (laughs) might be a little bit controversial, but is there any trends with how SE and CSM, I split it by both SE and CSM, and is there any trends there based on person? And I think depending on your industry, After you've got a few years of data behind you, it's also important to look at seasonality. Are there trends on different months for different reasons? And then you can forecast that in and be wary of that. So yeah, that's a little insight into what we get churn. And we've got dashboards with all these different things up on it. Amazing. I think you guys have some quite unique ways of looking at churn. I really like the whole churn by reason and against MRR and also churned by sales rep or CSM. I know that's, again, a little bit of a touchy topic, but it's good to reflect on churn. And it's really important to make sure that as you continue to grow from a startup to a scale up, that you really start to see why customers are leaving and if there's anything you can do to change that. So really insightful. Thanks for sharing that. So what are your thoughts around compensation? I know that this is a very sensitive subject around customer success managers, but I guess In what ways do you compensate your CSMs? Does this change as you guys are transitioning from a startup to a scale-up? What are some of the KPIs tied to your customer success managers? Yeah, I think this does completely depend on where you're at on your growth journey as a business. When starting out, roles, CS roles are less specialized. And I think an important point is that you don't necessarily have the right data to be able to implement or track maybe some of the KPIs you'd ideally want to. And I think it can be tricky to figure out a bonus structure or, you know, variable component that will motivate and drive the right behaviors in your CS team. So I think if you're just starting out, simply offering a base is totally okay. And you can build this out over time. For us, in full transparency, we're only based right now. At the moment, our sales and AM handle upsells and cross-sells. We're largely monthly recurring subscription with auto-renewal on a monthly basis. So renewals is not a massive thing for us. And we're redoing our house scores at the moment to incorporate more data points and get it to a stage where it's more holistic and, I guess, trustworthy. So 
that's one thing to think about. And then obviously, as we've grown and I've touched on this earlier, is our product offerings have changed. We now have chargeable modules and there's more room to upsell than ever before. We're also exploring charging for onboarding and training and those kind of things. So there's so many different factors to take into account when deriving a compensation package than when I started two and a half years ago. And I think it essentially just comes down to having the right data to track KPIs. So for example, if you're going to comp on adoption related to usage data, you have to be able to trust this. If it's health scores, these obviously have to be built out first with all of the data points that you want. If you're wanting to do it based on kind of advocacy components, then this needs to be part of your strategy and you need to be able to track this. And so I am looking at designing a compensation plan 2.0 later in the year for my team. And I think kind of my preference based on where we're at as a business is that having a combination of team and individual components will be useful. Capitalizing on team collaboration is key for me. And each person may have slightly different responsibilities. So you do need to weight in the individual side of things differently. It should be a combination of, it shouldn't just be focused on lagging indicators like churn. It needs to also include leading indicators that ties back to my point around what you want to measure and what you want to target. And often it just takes time to be able to get there. Would have loved to do this earlier, but I just haven't been in a position where data was correct or, you know, we didn't have the accurate health scoring that I wanted. So sometimes it just takes a little bit longer to get there. And then I think my final thing is that remembering that the motivation of CSMs is, is very different to that of sales. I think it's worth surveying your team and involving them to make sure that what you're implementing actually resonates with them and, you know, will ultimately motivate them in the right way because you don't want to implement something that just completely changes the way they work if you've spent so long building something that is working. So, yeah, it's, it is a tricky one, and I think it is just very different for every team, but where we're at at the moment. Yeah, that's amazing to hear. I think it's really interesting to hear how each business is unique and how you guys as customer success managers are only comped on a base salary and not any other initiatives. And it's also interesting to hear that you might be changing your KPIs as you guys continue to scale and grow. So really, really cool to see how different comp models work in different industries and also different businesses. I guess, when is the right time for your business to hire more CSMs? I know this is a topic of conversation amongst the CS community is like, when do you know it's right to hire another CSM? As you scale up, you have more tailored roles, like you mentioned. Is there a specific time that you know as a CS leader that it's it's right to have a CSM hired for more specific responsibilities, whether it be onboarding or renewals or whatever else that you might tailor your CS team to handle? When do you think is the right time to start doing that sort of process? Yes, as you said, there isn't really a definitive answer or set of rules around this, but I think look at a number of factors. So Obviously, number of existing clients that you have and your percentage of coverage over those clients, like how many of them are assigned to a specific person or you've got tech touch in place, how many basically aren't getting any coverage, number of new customers that you're getting each month, how complex is your product and engagement requirements needed to make customers successful with your products. Because obviously, if you've got quite a simple tool that doesn't take much time to get up and running your CSMs are going to be able to kind of handle a larger number of accounts than if your product is quite complex and takes a decent amount of time to set it up and it integrates with different things. So those are some key things to take into account. You know, transparency around what resource does the business have for additional headcount and getting exec buy-in to your CS strategy. Ultimately, you want to be in a position where you can estimate how many customers one person can look after and you should try 
build that into your hiring plan, into your strategy, validate why you need them and get exact buy into this. I think I've definitely learned this one the hard way. If I had to start over again, I would definitely spend more time forecasting, taking into account ramp up time of new hires and not letting myself get to a position where I and my team were super stretched before getting sign off, which I think is a really easy trap to fall into in startup world. Another key thing is that we do try and live by the whole processes, technology, people mantra where if you're kind of stretched and you think you need new headcount, are there any processes that you can optimize or change to work more efficiently or productively? Can you implement new technology to automate some processes and increase bandwidth of people? And if you've tried those two things and you're still in the same position, then I think headcount is the only kind of option. But being able to show that you've looked at different ways of handling the scenario before just saying, I need another person, helps put across your need in a more strategic way. So that's a little bit of insight into when you should hire. And then to answer your your other question about do roles become more specialized and what do they look like? I think, again, this is completely different depending on the business. It can be as simple as maybe you're the only CSM and you manage all inbound support calls and emails, and then you hire someone to take that off your hand. Brilliant. Or you manage all enterprise accounts at the moment and you hire a CSM to take half of them off you. It can really be like small steps when you're first starting out. and you can tailor the roles as you grow in lots of different ways. You know, some people split it by a life cycle stage where, as you just kind of mentioned, maybe you hire someone to specifically do onboarding or adoption, or if you, renewals are a core part of your role, renewals. But you can also go down the engagement requirement route by segment. That's kind of what we're doing at the moment. We've just hired a customer success exec to help own our SMBs and introduce more low-touch engagement points there. One person on my team's moving into customer marketing, one's moving into training at scale. I promoted someone, we have kind of customer support in our team as well, someone to manage all of the support side of things. So my first manager within the team, I'm coaching my other CSMs to take more clients off me. So I think every CS team is unique. Every product is unique. Every customer base is unique. And what works for others might not be the solution for you. But I think identify what your resource gaps are, what your overall goals are, and kind of plan for that. And I think the beauty of being at the early stages of scale-up mode is there's still room to shape roles based on individual skill sets and motivations. So you can take into account what's going to work for each person in your team and let them shape their roles as well. Yeah, that's great to hear. I think some of the things you just mentioned are really unique to the startup and scale-up world. And it's really great to hear how you as a CS leader and also your CS organization is taking advantage of that. One being technology. I think a lot of tech companies don't utilize tech stack enough when it comes to scaling a CS org. So really great to hear that. And the other thing you mentioned is really playing to your strengths and your CSM strengths. I think a lot of people will look externally for a hire when in a scale-up or a startup, you might not have the budget or the time to go out and hire. Hiring is a three-month, maybe even up to six-month process of getting someone new on board. Why not look at your internal team and have a look at what they can do and what their skill sets are and really optimize those and make sure that you are honing in on their skills to better serve your customers. So really two great pieces of advice there. So thanks for sharing. I guess as we start to wrap up this conversation, Lauren, do you have a piece of advice that you can give to a CS leader that's now listened to this podcast and is thinking a million different things about how their organization is transitioning into a scale up? What is one piece of advice that you might give them? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've kind of got two, I think. So I think the first thing is that 
feel accomplished with yourself and your team and your colleagues for getting to this point. All of your efforts that you've done so far at retaining and growing your customers has helped your business to get to this stage and roll with this opportunity. Be humbled by it because a lot of startups do not make it to the scale-up phase. So it is important to remember that. And I think the next point is just start an internal conversation about it. If you've noticed the changes, if they haven't explicitly been talked about, start that conversation start thinking about changes that you could be anticipating and start planning for these, especially if it's around future hiring and just be a bit self-reflective around it and just, again, start that conversation. That's something I would have done a lot earlier. And I think reach out to your network and find CSMs or CS leaders who have been through this already and see what tips and tricks they have to offer. I'm a massive advocate of just learning from others and just, again, every story is different, every experience is different, but you always pick up you know, one or two gems from each person And that just, again, helps with, you know, not feeling alone in this and just you don't have to reinvent the wheel for everything. So I think just talking about it is and communicating about it is one of the key things, really. So important. I totally agree. I think the more people I speak to on this podcast, no matter how many years of CS experience I have or they have, I always pick up a little gem or tip and trick from speaking to everyone. So that's really great advice. I guess my last question for today is really thinking into the future and and where CS might lead to. Now, more than ever, a lot of people are thinking about where customer success is going to be going. What do you think is next for the CS industry in the next, let's say, six months to year? It's a good question. For one, it's going to keep booming. I don't think the pandemic is going to slow that down at all. I know obviously some industries have been hit hard harder than others, but I think overall CS will will shine in this time and keep booming. For me, there's two other key things that I think are just becoming more of a thing, which is CS ops. This is super important as a team scales. We're just like sales and marketing who have lots of different tools and data requirements and reports and all of that kind of stuff. CS have those exact same needs. And as CS gets more grown up, the need for integrated tools, clean data, and all of that reporting and dashboards and everything is key and it can lead to you know significant productivity gains even if it's reducing the number of clicks from six to two clicks to access a certain piece of information as simple as that having someone in the team or having someone you can actually lean on within the business so for example we have some of the remit of our sales and marketing ops manager and he is able to dedicate some time to helping us so I think it's one of those things you don't necessarily have to hire a whole person right now but if you can get or carve someone in the business who can dedicate some time to it it can really help escalate the productivity and efficiency and and quicken the scaling of your team so I think that's going to become more of a thing I think also the relationship between CS and product is going to continue to get stronger and become a lot more strategic than maybe it has in the past because again no matter what activities your CS team does. If your customer can't be successful and achieve the desired outcomes with the product they're using, then that's an issue and it's not necessarily solvable from the CS team. The product is definitely core to a successful customer journey. And so I think, you know, CS having more involvement and scoping out new features and having shared adoption or expansion goals with the product team and things like that, that's going to become a more ingrained way of working over the next, yeah, six months to a year. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing all your tips, tricks, and insights on how to scale up your customer success team from a startup to a scale up. I know there's some hidden gems in there that I've really taken away and made notes of, and I think our listeners will find everything you shared with them really useful. So thank you again for your time today. 
Thank you so much for having me, Nika. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed chatting about anything. And yeah, if anyone wants to reach out for a chat, I'm always up for a yarn about customer success. So do reach out on LinkedIn or anything like that. Happy to talk with anyone. Great. Thanks so much, Lauren. Thanks. Bye.